please, and open them up with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Matthew 21. If you don't have a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Matthew, chapter 21. We're going to take a look at a story today that is familiar to most, and perhaps even a, a Part of the the message today, familiar to those of you who may have been with us on Palm Sunday this past year, earlier this year, because we're going to be looking at the first Palm Sunday, (laughs) The, the, the story again where Jesus triumphantly rides into Jerusalem. So if you have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1, Matthew records for us, when they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Here we say, as they approach Jerusalem, we've been talking of this the last couple of weeks, as Jesus and his disciples and those following him left the Galilee region and on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus has told them specifically, in the last couple of weeks we've talked of this, he said specifically why they are going to Jerusalem. He said that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer and die and be raised again on the third day. He shared this with the disciples on a a few occasions. But as we've talked, they've totally missed that as he's been speaking with them. And here they approach, and they are just a few days away from the Passover celebration and the excitement that is building up amongst all of the people that are going, because this is that annual celebration in Jerusalem where many, many people from all over the country would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But this Passover will be like no other Passover before it or after it. This will will be the Passover where the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus himself, will be offered as a sacrifice for you and for me to take away our sins. We know the date that we are specifically looking at today. It is April 6th, 32 A.D., And that day, Jesus wakes up with the rest of his disciples in a town called Bethpage, and he tells two of his disciples, you go into the next town, which would be Bethany, and when you get there, you will find a donkey tied with a colt, and bring them to me, untie them and bring them to me. We see this, and in this, the first thing I want to draw our attention to that brings me great comfort is Jesus knows everything. (laughs) Jesus knows everything. He's in control of everything. Again, we already mentioned the fact that he knows what is lying ahead, but he knows everything that is going on right around him. He's in complete control. Did it ever dawn on you that nothing ever dawns on Jesus? (laughs) Nothing ever takes him by surprise. He's never caught off guard by anything. And I know at times... We could probably all be in those moments in our lives where we can question that. Jesus, did you know that phone call was coming? Jesus, did you know those test results? Jesus, did you know that they were going to say that or they were going to do that? Did you know that? And the answer is yes. Yes, he knows everything. 
He is, he is all-knowing. But not only does he know everything, Jesus thinks of everything. He has contingencies in place. He has plans in place for every situation. We look at this in the story here, and we know it's right down to the minute details that Jesus gives them. He has all of the plans in place. I don't know about you, but I am not a details person. I need details people around me. I, I think of things, and you know, I think it's a great idea, and I'll be having coffee with my wife in the morning. I'll be, honey, man, you're not going to believe this. This is such a great idea, and I lay it all out. And she goes, but did you think of this, and this, and this, and this, and this? And I, no didn't. Thanks. <laughs> I, I need people like that around me. Did you know Jesus is a details person? Jesus is a details God. There's a silly saying that goes around. You probably all heard it. The devil's in the details. That's dumb. Jesus is in the details. The Lord is in the details. I look at this and I love this. If anyone says anything to you, what are the chances that no one was going to say anything to them? I have to think that when that, that, first, that commandment first came to them, you go into this town, you're going to find a donkey with a colt tied up to them, go and get them and bring them to me. Be thinking, okay, well, he's sending two of us. So that means one of us is going to have to cause a diversion while the other one goes, because there's somebody owns those, that donkey. It's not like we're just going to be able to waltz right in there and take it. But Jesus thinks of everything. He says, if, somebody, if anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord has need of them. There's nothing insignificant in the Word of God. There's nothing insignificant in what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't just talk to hear his own voice. He knew that they were going to need this information. We, we see in the other gospel accounts, this exact thing takes place. They start to untie it. Some guy says, hey, dude, what are you doing? Uh, paraphrasing. That you can't just take those. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And he goes, oh, okay. Jesus knew they were going to need that information. Nothing is insignificant in what he says. Nothing is insignificant in the word of God. Nothing is immaterial in the word of God. That is why it's so important for us to read the Word of God, to meditate on the Word of God, to take it all in. The entire counsel of God, all the way through, beginning to end, and continually in it. So many times, if, if you are a student of God's Word, you're going to know that what I'm saying is true. You can read a section of Scripture that you might even have memorized, but when you read it through, something very special speaks to you, something new that you have never seen or felt before, and you even have it memorized. That's because this is the living Word of God that we hold in our hands. And nothing is insignificant. Nothing is immaterial. The Bible promises us that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance those things that we have learned when we need it. Now, it says the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance, not make up for our indifference. If we casually go through it, if we just do it to check something off of a list or you know, just every once in a while, don't count on that to be there. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance. He will stir within us when we need it. And again, these guys needed that information. Nothing is insignificant or immaterial or inapplicable in the Word of God. The entire counsel of God. Old Testament, New Testament. I'm amazed every week as we study through the Old Testament together on Wednesday nights that every week 
looking at these old stories, the application that is there for us today, every week, tons of application everywhere. Bible says that it's the, the, this is recorded for exa- as examples for us, for instruction for us, not for our manipulation, but for our instruction. It's not so that we get, we get out of it what we want out of the word of God. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. These two disciples, we don't know which two they were, they took the word that Jesus gave them. They went and were obedient. Verse 6 tells us they did just what Jesus told them. And lo and behold, the moment came when they needed the word that God gave them, Jesus speaking to them, and they were ready. And Jesus accomplished what he desired with it. And they bring the, the, the donkey and, the, and its colt with them, Back to Jesus, and verse 4 tells us that this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to this daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Speaking of the Messiah that is coming, the Messiah will be revealed by riding on a, on a donkey. The, the, it even says, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And that's going to be important when we see this coming to, uh, as it lays out for us. Very specifically, a prophecy made, a prophecy fulfilled. Matthew points that out to, for us often, that the things that take place are fulfillment of prophecy. And so many people would miss that. In this time, they would, the, the discussion was going around, and we've, we've talked of this before, that where people, is this miracle worker? Is this Jesus? Could he be the Messiah? And by this time, all doubt should be removed. But what we're going to look at today is that final piece that rem- should have removed all doubt from the equation, that he is the promised Messiah. Well, verse 6 says, The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, By the way, obedience is a huge part, obviously. And brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coat. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We see this large crowd that has been building the entire time. Many people following Jesus as we've talked. But as he's now making his voyage, his pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover, as he passes through every town, no doubt picking up larger and larger groups of people as this crowd moves. We know from Luke's account that just a couple of days prior to this, as he passed through Jericho, that's the story of Zacchaeus, that the crowd was so massive as Jesus moved through, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, couldn't even see Jesus. He had to run ahead and climb up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. 
because of the, the massive group of people that are moving along with Jesus in this trip. We know some people who no doubt were in the crowd at the time in addition to the disciples. Blind Bartimaeus, blind no more, because Jesus gave him his sight, again, just a day or two earlier, following along with Jesus. Simon the leper, a leper no more, following Jesus. Lazarus, dead no more, <laughs> from, from Bethany, this, this town that is there, and all of these people who, who were a part of all of that, they saw Lazarus dead, they saw him come out of the grave, all of these things, this group of people that are coming, and they're coming now from Bethany, from Bethpage, which is on the other side of the Mount of Olives, and as they come over the top and they crest the top of the hill, the glory and the splendor of seeing Jerusalem down below them. If you've ever been to Israel, you know the sensation, the feeling that there is, as you, the anticipation as you drive through the tunnel. We don't go over the Mount of Olives anymore. We go through it. There's a tunnel, and you come through the other side. And our guide, every time that we do it, he has us close our eyes as we're coming through and they're playing this song, Jerusalem, in the, in the background. And then he comes through and he says, all right, look out this window and open your eyes. And you open your eyes and you can see Jerusalem just laid out before you. It's just, I get God bumps again talking about it. It's, so, it's, it's such an amazing experience and the excitement that is built there. No doubt the same going on with them. Even more so with them as, as, as Jews, as they now come over the top and below the glorious city of Jerusalem. And again, coming up over now, but also others from the Temple Mount, you can see it's right across the valley and up on the top of the Mount of Olives, this group of people, massive group of people as they come over the top. And we know that, th that there were many who were anticipating Jesus coming. John tells us in John chapter 11 that many were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, I wonder if he's coming. I wonder if he's going to show up to the feast at all. There was a lot of buzz going on around about Jesus. And no doubt when they saw that and heard Jesus is in that group, many went out from Jerusalem up to meet him as he was coming in. We also know from John's account in John chapter 11, and it's verse 56, 57, note takers, you want to look it up later, we put the accounts together to get the whole picture of what's going on. The Pharisees were anticipating Jesus coming too, and they said, if anybody knows where he is, you come tell us, because they were going to arrest him. They had their sights set on that. To this point in Jesus' life and in his ministry, we've seen that he has always tried to stifle the praise and the accolades that come towards him. When he would heal people, he would say, don't tell anybody that I did it. You know, when he was saying, you know, the others, when they make these proclamations, okay, don't say anything about that to anybody else. To this point, he's trying to stifle that. But here, in this moment, on this day, he is receiving it. There's something special about this day. And there's something very special and unique about the praise that is being given to him. The pray, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They are quoting Psalm 118. They are chanting this and, and singing this along. Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118 verses 20 through to 26 says this. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. 
Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. That means it is speaking of the Messiah. It is proclaiming, again, things that will take place and identifiers about the Messiah when he comes, the promised one. This is a messianic psalm, so when they are singing this, they know exactly what it is they're proclaiming. They're proclaiming, this is the guy. This is the Messiah. They knew it when they were singing it, and the Pharisees knew it when they heard it. Again, if you would turn with me now to Luke chapter 19, Luke records for us a couple of things that are not in Matthew's account of this story, and that's not a problem. Some people ask that question, well, does that, does that mean that there's an issue with that? It wouldn't make sense for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to be identical records of all of the information. There we don't, you'd only need one then. We put them all together and you get a complete picture. John tells us that if it was all recorded, everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to hold all the volumes to record it all. So we look at it together and we get a total picture and we see here in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, the response of the Pharisees to this worship that is going on. It says, some of the Pharisees, Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these became silent, the stones will cry out. The first rock concert in history would break out. <laughs> and it's not the Rolling Stones. It is stones along the side of the road. He says, they, they're say, they, again, they know exactly what is being said here. Jesus knows exactly what's being said. They're saying, they are proclaiming you as the Messiah. Tell them to knock it off. And Jesus said, if they did, this day, what is going on right here, is foretold. It's, it's, it's going to happen. So if the people are quiet, the rocks are going to start crying out. Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. And it's the way that it is presented and the way it is, is cried out is to, again to the Messiah because he's the only one who can save now. And that is the proclamation. It is an emphatic exclamation of praise to God, to who he is, and asking for salvation to come. Do you realize how privileged we are? Privileged we are especially knowing what all that we know about who Jesus is, but the privilege that we have to praise him, to proclaim who he is, to cry out and to sing and to, and to, from our very souls, worship him. Do you realize how privileged we are? If I understand correctly from what Jesus is saying, the rocks want to, but they can't. We've been given that unique privilege to call upon him, to worship him. As we look at this story again, and maybe from a little different angle now, understand that there's a couple of things that, that separate us as Christians from any other religious group in the world, that separates the Christian religion from any other religion. First of all, and primarily, we serve a risen king. 
our Lord, our Savior, our King, stepped out of heaven. He became one of us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died in our place, and he rose again three days later. His grave is empty. None of the others are. <laughs> They're all occupied. Our God lives. Amen. Now, in addition to that, another thing that separates us separates us from anybody else is what you hold in your hands. We have the very living word of God in our hands. And one unique thing about what you hold in your hands is that it is one-third prophecy. One-third of what is written and recorded for us when it was written and recorded had yet taken place. It was talking about something in the future that would take place. The Bible is the only book bold enough to say that if it doesn't come true, the one who wrote it should be killed. No other, no other religion says that. No one else would be bold enough to make that statement. That's important when we look at our story today for this reason. There's a prophecy that's recorded hundreds of years before this event that we're looking at today, and it's recorded in Daniel chapter 9. And for you note-takers, you want to write this down, look it up again for yourselves later. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, it says this, Seventy weeks have been declared for your people and your holy city. Verse 25, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. Verse 26, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Now we look at that, and again, no doubt, back when Daniel wrote those things, there's a whole lot of things going, I wonder, what, what, what could all of that mean? What could all of that put together? But now we can look at the totality in its picture. And we can understand when we look at this that, that there must be a date when this starts because this is a prophecy that is here. And we see in verse 25 that there is a decree that is issued. We know when that decree was issued and it is not in the Bible. It is from extra-biblical sources that there was a decree given to rebuild Jerusalem. And from that moment until Messiah the king, there's a time frame that's given. Now, it tells us that it says it's referring to his weeks. Now, we need to understand that that weeks is a period of seven. It is not seven days like we consider a week. That word weeks there means a period of seven, and it is a period of seven years. So let's look at the whole picture together. We know the date that it started, March 14th, 445 BC. That is the date that, we, that, that that decree was given. And again, that is a historical fact. If we take the period of sevens that are given to us here and we extrapolate that in, out into years, seven weeks would equal 49 years, and 62 weeks would equal 434 years. Now, I'd love to tell you I sat down with a pencil and paper after Turkey on Thursday and figured all of this out, but some really, really smart guy, Sir Robert Anderson, did all of this and figured all of these things out. 
We put all of that together, 483 years, and it's 360 days in a year because it's a Babylonian lunar calendar that was used back then. It's not the same calendar we use today. Again, historical fact. Not, this, isn't, this is all out, outside of the Bible can verify all of this. So we have 173,880 days. Big deal. Well, March 14th, 445 BC, you add 173,880 days, guess what day it is? April 6th, 32 AD. How cool is that? I mean, I, right down to the very day that the Messiah will be revealed, proclaimed as who he is. Up until this point, Jesus was stifling the praise today. Something special about this day. He now receives the praise as he is coming in. Now we already saw again the Pharisees and their reaction initially. If we're still in Luke, I hope, haven't gone back to Matthew because Luke records one more thing for us in verse 41 we need to look at. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known This day. The New King James, if you have it, says, especially in this, your day. The things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemy will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus said, if you had known this day, this is your day, you should have known it. And there is devastation coming because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation. You should have known this. Speaking no doubt directly to the religious leaders, you should have known this. This is your responsibility to know this and to be sharing this with everyone. You should have been standing down, gotten up early, gotten everything all ready, and standing down looking up, saying, he's got to be coming today. This is the day. But they missed it. They didn't recognize it. Now, when we look at this, you might say, well, there was a whole bunch of people who obviously did. They're screaming, Hosanna. Didn't you just tell us that they understood that that's a messianic psalm? Yes. However, the vast majority of this crowd in four days will be screaming, crucify him. They didn't get it. They got caught up in it, but they didn't get it. The Pharisees obviously didn't. The disciples didn't even fully understand it. Even after all that Jesus had been telling them along the way, John, again, in his record of this, tells us in John chapter 12, and he was one of them, said these things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him. They didn't get it at that time. They missed it too. When we look at the totality of the story that we've been looking at here in this, it it appears that only two in our story got it. Jesus and the donkey. No one else did. The donkey. Some things that we can see and we understand about the donkey in our story here. First of all, he was requisitioned. Jesus specifically chose that individual donkey. 
that colt, that foal of a donkey. Specifically chose that one. He didn't say, hey guys, just go out and find me a donkey. He said, you go here and this one right here, bring that one to me. Not only was he requisitioned, he was also redeemed. How do we know that this donkey was redeemed? Well, simply because the law says in Exodus 13, 13, that the foal of a donkey, the first male born to, to, a, to a donkey, the first offspring, male offspring of a donkey, must be redeemed by a lamb. You must sacrifice a lamb for that donkey or you must break that donkey's neck. That's the law. So you must exchange the life of a lamb for the life of that donkey. That's Exodus 13, 13. That's the law. So we know that donkey was requisitioned. We know that donkey was redeemed. We know that donkey was released. Jesus says, you'll find it tied up. Untie it and bring it to me. And we also know that that donkey, that colt, was ruled. Because up until that time, it tells us in the the gospel accounts that donkey had never been ridden before. It had never been broken. I'll tell you the moment it was broken, when Jesus sat on it. Because from that moment, it went exactly where Jesus wanted it to go. It was ruled by the king of kings. You know, everything about that donkey is true about this donkey. And it's true about all y'all donkeys. <laughs> As Christians, we've all been requisitioned. Specific choosing. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us, Jesus chose you. Jesus chose me. But it goes beyond being chosen. We had to be redeemed. We had to be redeemed by a lamb, the spotless lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As with that donkey, there was a lamb that had to die in its place. And the lamb of God died in our place. He died instead of us. And because of that, we've all been released We are all in bondage to sin and death. But we've all been released. The Bible tells us that those that God releases, those that the sun sets free, are free indeed. And that word indeed means absolutely, completely, forever free. But we also must be ruled. We must be broken. We must allow the Lord Jesus to guide and direct us, to lead us where we would go. Why is this coming all together? Why is this all all pointing to that, and where are we going with all of this? Well, I mentioned the Bible is one-third prophecy. One other piece of that fact is there is more prophecy in the Bible about Jesus' second coming than about his first coming. And his first coming, as we've already discussed, every prophecy made about his first coming was 100% fulfilled. 
why would we possibly think every prophecy about his second coming won't be 100% fulfilled? Do you believe it? I believe he's coming back soon. Do you believe that? I'll tell you who else believes it. Our enemy does. Our enemy believes it. We, and we better. We better embrace this because as Jesus said, this, that, that was their day and they missed it. This is our day. We don't dare miss this. Our enemy believes it so much, they're doing everything they can to stop the prophecies from being fulfilled that are, being, that are yet to come about his second coming. As a for instance, here's a picture of a model of what Jerusalem looked like, the Temple Mount at the time of Jesus. This is what it would have looked like from the top of the Mount of Olives, looking down as Jesus would have been coming down. And you see that gate that is on the side there that leads directly into where the the temple was at the time. This is a picture of the Temple Mount today. You notice the temple is not there. Because Jesus made the prophecy that we just looked at that not one stone will be left upon another. And that was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans came in and completely annihilated the Temple Mount. Not one stone left upon another. As a matter of fact, stone by stone, they were thrown off of the top of the Temple Mount and they're embedded in the, in the pavement below still to this day. Now, as we look at this and, and we see this, there's, there's a prophecy that is made in Ezekiel 43 and 44 that the Messiah will go through, when he comes back again, he will go through that gate that I just showed you. And if we take a little closer up look at it today, we can see that what the enemy has done in 1517, the Turks, Muslims, the Turks, read that prophecy, they heard the prophecy that the Messiah is going to come through that gate, and they said, we're going to stop him. So look at what they did. They, put, they, put the, they bricked it all up. But you think bricks are going to stop the Messiah? <laughs> they didn't either. That's not, that's not what they think is going to stop them. Look what's in front of the bricks. Look what's in front of that. That's a graveyard. Since 1517, Muslims have been burying their dead in front of that gate, knowing that no Jewish holy person will ever step foot on a grave. So they think they've stopped the prophecy from happening. You worried? No. Me neither. Zechariah 14.4, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mountain of Olives will be split in its middle from the east to the west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half to the south. When Jesus comes again, he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in half. Half the graves go that way. Half the graves go that way. He walks right up through the middle, right into the gate, just like he said. Amen. Now, again, so what? He's coming again. The Bible proclaims it. I believe it. He's coming again. And there's things again that we see in his first coming. And as he is moving towards this day that we can see he is doing even today in preparation for his second coming. First, his sovereign alignment. He is moving pieces. He is, he is in control of events. 
things that are happening that the Bible says have to happen. All of this stuff that is going on in the Middle East that has all of us, all of our attentions up as Christians, we should say, we know that's going to happen. We don't know the specifics about this, but we know some very, very important specifics. There's going to be alliances that don't make any sense. Um, Russia and Iran, that's foretold. There's going to be a whole alliance of, of, of nations that come against Israel. That's in here. We can see it all coming together. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people mock that. You Christians, you've been saying that forever. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Have you heard that before? Have you heard people say that? Oh, you Christians have been always saying that. Oh, it's always been this way. It's da, 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 da. You ever heard that? If you've ever heard anything like that, or next time somebody does, you say, dude, you're fulfilling prophecy. The Bible says you were going to say that. <laughs> it even said it's in the last days, bro. You're bringing it on. Or something to that effect. Again, every prophecy about his first coming, 100% accurate. Not missed a beat. He's coming again. His sovereign alignments, his specific assignments. He gave these two that assignment. Go in to this town. Go into Bethany and find this donkey and bring it to me. Very specific assignments. He has specific assignments for us. And no assignment is insignificant. No assignment is too small and no detail in the assignment is insignificant. What does he want you to do? What does he have for you to do? I can't answer that question. Only he can. You need to seek him for that. I do regularly. Lord, what is it you want from me? What do you want me to do? Pray for those divine appointments. Pray for those things that get. Pray. Grab a couple of these on your way out today from the ushers and pray over them and ask God for, you, for him to divinely direct who it is that you should give these to. If they come with you next Sunday night to that concert, I guarantee you they will hear the real meaning of Christmas. If they come to the real Christmas surprise, they won't be able to miss it. Who is it that God wants you to, to share with? What specific assignment does he have? All it requires is an ear to hear and an obedient heart to do what he said. Lastly, we saw throughout our studies over the last several weeks leading up to this moment very special appointments that Jesus had. We saw a couple of weeks ago the appointment with the rich young ruler, one individual, a conversation with him. We saw the healing of the couple of blind men last week. 
If you read and go backwards from Luke, we're looking at Luke 19 a little bit here. You go back a few chapters, you can see a bunch of the stories that aren't recorded for us in Matthew, these appointments that Jesus had along the way, the healing of the 10 lepers, the individual appointment with Zacchaeus, individual specific appointments that Jesus had, and he kept them all. And if you're here today and you have never... You've never made that decision to follow Jesus. You've never given Jesus your life. You've never trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. He has an appointment with you today. You're not here by accident. You're not here because somebody invited you. You're not here just by random chance. This is an appointment that Jesus lined up from before he created the world to meet with you here today. But he won't force himself on you. Just as with the rich young ruler, he gave a choice to him. He gave a choice to Zacchaeus. As a matter of fact, same choice. The rich young ruler says, walked away from Jesus, and he walked away grieved. Zacchaeus accepted the invitation and went away joyous. The choice is yours today. And you know I'm speaking to you right now because... The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. These aren't my words that are coming. The God is speaking to you right now, and you know I'm talking to you. You know he's talking to you. And if you want to respond today, you want to say, I, I need Jesus. I want to know that if I died today, that I would be with him. I would have eternal life. You can respond today simply, simply by responding in your heart to him. Don't, don't make the mistake of thinking, you know what, next time. I, 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 I'm, I'm almost convinced. Maybe next week. Maybe next time. You're not guaranteed a next time. If the rich young ruler said that, you know, maybe next time. Maybe, maybe when he comes, I'm going to wrestle with this a while. When he comes back through, I'll talk with him again. Jesus wasn't coming back through. He was going on his way to Jerusalem to die. You don't know you're going to have another time. I'd like to ask if there is anyone here today that says, I need a Savior and I believe Jesus is that Savior. I want to give my life to Jesus today. If there's anyone at all in the room, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you. Anyone that says, I know he's talking to me. That appointment is me today. I know what you're thinking. You're wondering what are, what's everybody going to think? Your heart's pounding. I understand. We've all been there. Every one of us, every born-again believer in this room knows what you're feeling right now. What are we going to say? What are we going to think? We're going to rejoice with the angels in heaven because you responded to the appointment that Jesus had for you. He's had those appointments with all of us. So is, is there anyone that says, today I want to give my life to Jesus? Anyone at all? Praise the Lord that we're in a room full of believers today. And as we close, back in Matthew chapter 21, I'm challenged by verse 10, and I believe we all should be as we enter this Christmas season. Notice what it says in verse 10. When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from, from Nazareth in Galilee. 
As Jesus entered Jerusalem, it says that there was a stirring that was going on throughout the entire city. And that word that's used there, stirred, is where we eventually get our word, earthquake, a shaking that is going on. Now, it's not talking about physical. It's talking about spiritual. Something was going on. And again, nobody could put their finger on it. They could just, they were saying, something is going on. And the question that came out is, who is this? They all knew that he was the source. He was the reason. Who is he? And my prayer is that we would all be so stirred that our entire city would be stirred. That the city of surprise in this season, in this time, would be stirred. And that they would see us. And they would ask those questions. How can you be so happy? How can you be so full of joy when everything that is going on around, don't you look at the news? Don't you see what's happening over in Paris and all of these other places? And we can say, yeah, and it breaks my heart. But you know what? Let me tell you something. He's coming back. Who's coming back? (laughs) Who is this? This is the... If you have a heading in your Bible, chapter 21 starts out the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry was preceded by the humble entry of Jesus into humanity. Born as a baby, born and put in a manger, the humblest of, of birth. Proclaimed to shepherds that came that first night. The king of kings. And while all of those that are stirred up within Jerusalem, they don't understand what's going on. As Christians, we do. We do. We know why he came. We know he accomplished everything when he came. We have the truth. Let's share it this season. Amen? Let's pray.